One of the challenges of the decentralized world is that once your data is out there on an immutable database, also known as a blockchain, it could be there visible to everyone and anyone. So how do you protect your information and only reveal what you want to reveal and who you want to reveal it and when you want to reveal your data or your identity? Now, this is one of the problems that an exciting Web3 startup called Verida is solving. And today on this podcast, I have with me Chris Ware, who is the founder of Verida. He is also a serial entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience building technical products. Hello, innovators and explorers. Welcome to another episode of the Web3 Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon best-selling author and a tech startup founder with two exits. These days, I work with the Moonstream team. Moonstream.to is the Web3 engine for blockchain-based games. And at Moonstream, we have handled over $2.5 billion in transaction value to this date. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore this land of Web3, which is filled with opportunities so that you can build generational wealth. So Chris, let's get into it. It's great to have you on the show. And yeah, I would love to know about bit about how you got started into Verida and in, in your journey leading up to that, because I know you've been involved with so many different startups. Yeah, for sure. So I guess I'm a software engineer first and foremost. I started building software as a kid. I wrote a Tetris clone, I think in C when I was sort of 13, 14. And since there, my interest has always just been driven by, you know, new technology and how it can be used in, in interesting ways. So yeah, fast forward. And I guess over the past yeah, 20 years now have developed, been involved in the development of all sorts of things from you know, trading software for the stock market, some interesting sort of experiments around democratizing news around back when Twitter was a bit smaller, creating a Twitter search engine that was sort of real time and always been really interested and passionate about the new technology and, and how it can be used in new ways and um, ideally used to improve the world. I think that there's a real opportunity with technology to make life better for everyone in, in different ways. And so, yeah, look, I started a company that was building software for nonprofit organizations and we were, we were dealing with very sensitive information. We were dealing with, you know, very sensitive health records, personally identifiable information. And in some cases we were dealing with information relating to people's past trauma that they were getting support, yeah. support from people on. And I realized that while we were building some really great software and tools, there was a fundamental problem here because if, if I had a traumatic experience and Sam, I was coming to you to talk about that, I would tell you that story. I would go through that and that can be a traumatic experience just to repeat it. You'd enter it into your, your IT system and then you would say, oh, Chris, go and talk to Jane and then go and talk to Bob. And so I'd go and talk to these people and I'd have to go and tell my story again and I'd have to repeat that trauma and that became a disincentive for me to actually go and be go and get help that I kind of needed. And I I realized that because I was in that process giving my information and my data to somebody else for their system and I didn't kind of own that end result, that digital I didn't have a digital representation of that. That that was a really interesting sort of structural problem that we created. And so I was sort of mulling that over when I exited that company. I was like, okay, there's some interesting there's a bit of a problem here. And then the Cambridge Analytica sort of uh, hack kind of yeah. came out and, and, and garnered a lot of attention. And a lot of that was around, again, people's data being misused. And, you know, at that point I sort of connected the dots and went, okay, we really need to transform 
how we collectively manage our own personal information in this digital world. And um, as a technologist, I was like, okay, I'd like to be involved in that. And I started diving deeper into what exists, you know, in the technology space. And obviously blockchain is touted as a own your own keys, you know, own your own money. People talk about that extending to your data. And I was like, great, look, this, here's, here's a space that sort of, you know, have the same sort of ethos of putting the individual first. And I was like, okay, I'll go on, you know, I was consulting and talking to a number of projects that were interested in the space. And I went, okay, let's go and create a product in this space. I very quickly realized that it wasn't possible to create a product because there was a whole bunch of missing infrastructure. So yeah. um, that's what led to the start of Verita. And if I fast forward today to where Verita's sort of evolved to, it's effectively a protocol and a network that is solving a really important piece of the, the, the Web3 technology stack, um, which is private data and private data storage. So if you think of blockchain being, you know, blockchains are public, all the data is public, all the yes. transactions are public, but it's effectively like a public computation engine. So it allows, you know, you know, computation calculations to occur. And you know, there's a, a very small amount of storage that's also possible, which is really just to help facilitate some of that computation. If you look at building traditional software, you need a lot more than compute. You need, you know, authentication, authorization, you need messaging, you know, messaging is often like today it's an email or an SMS and it's, but it's private, which is, and you also need this private data storage. So, you know, if you look at a traditional app application, you know, there's a database somewhere that's got the data for you as a user. And often that data can be quite large. Think of all the data that Facebook or Google have on you on their private servers, you know, you wouldn't want all of that information on the blockchain. You wouldn't want all that information public. But if we want to create this Web3 world that's decentralized, we need a way for that private information that I have to be stored somewhere. So that's effectively where what we've done is we've developed this decentralized network for private data storage, which, which is really awesome. And then on top of that, once you've got private data storage and identity, you can actually very easily add secure messaging. And so we've added a secure messaging protocol and implementation that sits on top of that private data storage and then connected that to the blockchain. And so what that means is that I can have my own private data that's stored off chain, it's secure, it's digitally signed, it's verifiable, but I can also link to the blockchain some pieces of that data if I decide to. So I might link some of that information in the future to access a insurance smart contract. I can prove something that allows me to maybe provide evidence in relation to a claim that I need to make and have an automated insurance policy process. So once you start to look at a full technology stack, you realize the importance of having private data, connecting it to the blockchain where we're relevant, we're smart, and tying that back to P2P messaging. That's fantastic. I have so many questions. You know how I always perceive blockchain as, as more than I see it as transparency that you know like you can go to each scan or somewhere and you can put in the smart contract and you can see what has happened who was sold to who and you know the the history of transactions and and i thought that is part of the 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 charm of uh, blockchain that it gives that sort of transparency so isn't that then what you are trying to achieve kind of different to that and wouldn't that be like really really challenging in in doing that in a blockchain environment yeah, so I think this is at the core of one of the problems is that you have a conflict between public and private. So, yes. you know, when, you, when you're dealing with a blockchain, it's all public because anyone can participate and there's a transparency value the blockchain brings, which is significantly valuable. You know, everything yeah. is, is available, but there's a conflict there because, you know, blockchain allows you to own your own keys, which means you can control your own 
money, you know, your, your tokens, yes. which is great. And so the, the intent is to kind of extend that concept. If I can control my tokens, but I can, I can also then control my data, but obviously we don't want that data to be public. And so the yeah. blockchain is not a good solution for, for data. Yeah. Um, and for large, it's not good for large amounts of data. It's typically a bit slow, so it's not good for rapidly transferring data and it's not good for keeping it um, private. And so that's really what we're trying to do is, okay, let's solve the data piece. Let's solve that private data problem. It's not on the blockchain, it's off chain, but it can connect to the chain. So I can use my private keys to unlock access to my data. I can, I can put an authentication token on the chain that allows me, which allows another blockchain user to access my data for maybe, maybe it's a, a healthcare, a clinical research company in the yes. United States that's doing research into heart disease. Yeah. And I decide, okay, I'm going to give them access to a subset of my data so that they can then do their research. And maybe I'm going to earn some tokens from them. And so yeah. under the Verita storage network, we can have this private data as a user, I can put something on chain, which allows a particular blockchain address to access that data. And then that blockchain address, which represents the the healthcare research, they can use their private key to sign a message to be able to unlock that data. And so you can start to create this really interesting new paradigm where you can have private data, you can have public blockchain, and you can create a data economy, which is powered by blockchain. So you can get this connection between data and value in terms of tokens, and you can remix and innovate around that. So if you think of, if you think of DeFi, one of the things that's been so powerful with decentralized finance is it's allowed people to create liquidity pools and pull a whole bunch of assets and then create programmable and composable use cases around finance. Yeah. We see this same opportunity, but with data. If, if we can help users claim their private data from all these different centralized platforms and we can provide the tooling for, for, for innovators, people that want to create new products and services in Web3, if we can help those developers innovate, unlock that data, create new business models with tokens around the use of that private data, yeah, we think that we can unlock a similar wave of innovation for you know hyper personalized experiences, much like how DeFi is unlocking this sort of personalized finance uh, model. Yeah, yeah. The another beauty of DeFi is access. It gives people who didn't have access before access to it. You just go with your um, MetaMask and then go on Sushi Swap or, or any of the swap platforms and those sort of things. So I um, feel like access is also a big sort of a draw card for all these people who have been excluded out of the financial ecosystem. Um, we live in a part of the world where it's so easy to, to access banking and stuff, but there's still like one or two billion people out there um, who find it super challenging. What are your so it still uses some form of, so the data is stored in a centralized sort of a storage, but then the, the access key is stored in the, on the blockchain, and then it uses that to access. Would that be the right understanding of the architecture? Well, um, sort of. The first bit though, is that the data isn't stored centralized, it's decentralized. So, oh, okay. so what does that really mean? So effectively, Verita as a protocol has the concept of a storage node. So you think of a blockchain node, it's sort of. So RWIF is a really is an interesting one. So there's IPFS, there's RWIF. Yes, IPFS, the Interplanetary there. File System. Yes, that, yeah. that was going to be my next question. So is it like <laughs> well, let's let's link those two up. So if we think of those solutions, what are what are they at their core? They're they're first thing to highlight is that they're public. Yeah. So I, all of the data that's stored on them is public. So I, not really well suited to private data. That's one thing. Yeah. The second thing is the data is distributed. So I like to draw a distinction between decentralized and distributed. 
when I say distributed, what I mean is the data is kind of split and goes across a whole bunch of nodes all over the world. And you've got no idea, no control, no sense of where your data ends up. Now that's great when you're thinking about distributing large amounts of data. If you think of torrenting technology, IPFS is actually built based on torrenting technology. Yeah. It's about sharing large amounts of data, distributing it and making content addressable. Yeah. That use case is very, very different from like a private database of my data. Yes. Um, that data tends to be very block based. So think of it as like a files as yeah. opposed to a database, which is queryable and is yeah. flexible. That is mostly okay. like movie files and image files and that type of things. Correct. So you could, so, so web two analogy is that I guess I believe better now for the most part, it's a bit like thinking I'm going to store all my data in an S3 bucket. I can't query it in yeah. public, you know, like it's not, not really a great use case. What we really want is like a private SQL database or a private yeah. MongoDB or something like that. Yes. And that's basically what we've done. So you could think of what we have is, is almost this decentralized infrastructure that means that as a user, I can control where my data is stored, like what country, um, I can split that up. So my application, my data for different applications could be stored in different locations. I could spin up my own node and have all of my data across all of my apps stored on a node that I control and I host. There's complete user control and flexibility there. And so what that ends up being is that we have the users in control, which I think is a really important ethos of, of Web3. The user has a private key or a seed phrase that they use to unlock access to their data. Yes. Um, the, the user can control and consent around their data. It's not like, hey, here's all of my data. It's like, oh, for this application, I'm going to give you just this little bit of data. Or for this, this um, healthcare provider, I'm going to get a subset of my data, run a query, do a filter, and create this very, very specific request and only give you access to all of my medical nodes that mention my knee surgery. So when you start to think of my private data, I want very fine-grained control over, over what people can access. And I want to do that in a really sensible way. So the problems are very different, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here is the yeah. implementations are very different. And so at the core, there's a, there's a bit of common kind of thread to kind of go, oh, it's just decentralized data that obviously, you know, sort of undermines the idea of there's a very big difference between an S3 bucket and sort of like a private, you know, SQL database. And that's sort of where, where we sort of see that differentiation. Yeah. Yep. That makes complete sense. Now, the second thing is that in data changes. And, and how I see blockchain as one of the beauty of blockchain is that it's immutable. You know, it is, it's there, it's there, it stays there forever. Even like in smart contracts and people have had that issues. And if there is a bug and they have to completely kind of scratch that smart contract and create a new one and things like that. And which are just sort of challenges, which people will solve over time. How, how do you guys solve it? How does Verida solve it, solve that challenge? Yeah, there's a number of really important points. That's a great question. So the first thing is that the data structures are versioned. So let's just take an example. So let's say, let's say you've got a, a medical record as a single sort of record of a visit yeah. to a, a healthcare provider. And the doctor would actually give you that data at the end of the consult. Yeah. The doctor would sign the data, which obviously yeah. gives it integrity because there's then a way to to ver independently verify that that doctor is that, that that address belongs to a doctor that person is a qualified doctor so like this traceability of the data which is really important long term when you start to think about all of this different data great. blockchain is great at that exactly so it's the same concept having the data that's signed it's, it's not public but there's still an audit history there the second part of it is that that becomes version one of that piece of data yeah okay so now if, if you as a doctor sam send me that record i now own my data because i own a record of that that visit 
it's being yeah. signed by you as a doctor, which is great. So in the future, I can share that data with somebody else and say, hey, you can now go and independently verify that that address belongs to Sam, who's a doctor, because Sam could publish that publicly. So that's really great. And then, and so we've got the messaging capability to send that data from you to me, and I now own it in my own storage node and, and have control and agency, which is great. But then, Sam, you go, oh, hang on, I made a mistake. I actually, you know, two days later, I want to update that note because, you know, I forgot that I saw this other, I had another observation. I want to update that note. You can go and edit that and you can then publish that and push that back to me. And I again get an update of that note, but it's got a version two. And so the data gets signed a second time with the new updated version of that record. And so now as a user, although I may not see it in the user interface necessarily, perhaps I could, but they're in the system, there's these two different versions, version one, version two, both with different signatures because the data's changed. And there's a really uh, concise sort of order trail of that particular record. If you start to think of this future where now I have my data and I'm going to share it with three or four or five different people, I, as a user, we believe in the principle of user choice and user agency. So as a yeah. user, at the end of the day, at a, the, the user interface will obviously be specific to different use cases. But as a user, I have control. I can share with them all the versions. I can share with them the latest version. I can share them, share no data because I decided I don't want to share that particular piece of information. But the key thing is that the technology stack that we've developed, the infrastructure we've provided, gives all of those different choices and makes them all available and provides that really strong order trail of, of the data. Yep. Look, I mean, I love this. You know why? Because it makes me think of GitHub and what it did for developers. Yes. <laughs> Imagine development before pre-GitHub. And whenever I have used GitHub and I've thought of that, like, look, this technology could be implemented in every single industry where humans exchange knowledge, which is everywhere all the time. It's like to give you another example of, sorry to go on this run, but I, I know lawyers and I know how a lot of the law profession is really old school. So like, because a lot of the lawyers are in their mid fifties, mid sixties and all that, they don't want to adapt to a new system, but a version control for them would be amazing. So it's like they uh, create a contract and then they send it to a client, but then at every stage they have a, some like a junior lawyer. All that junior lawyer is doing eight hours, 12 hours a day is proofreading line by line on what has changed and what needs to be. <laughs> and then it goes to the client and then they're whoever they are having a case with and they will send it to their lawyer. And then the other party's lawyer will check line by line on what has happened, what has changed, and then they will give their feedback. And, and pretty much like 80% of the cost is just this back and forth. And, and the two junior lawyers also involved in checking line by line the contract. <laughs> and a simple version control would solve it. I, was, I always thought of that. They should just have a Git for lawyers and then they just upload the contract and it will just show the history and everything. <laughs> and you can roll back changes and all that. Exactly right. So there's two really important points you've made there, which um, are really good observations. So the idea of thinking about it as Git for data is, is actually not far off because the underlying protocol that we, if you think of Git, it's data, it's, it's sort of version control for the source it's version code, right? Control, yeah. Yeah. There's a really interesting problem in this space because the, the problem space here, part of it is, is the storage of the data. So having the version data. The other part that's really important though, is the synchronizing of updated data. So. If you think of, let's say I've got my, I'll use healthcare. Healthcare is not a great example, but it's a good technology example. Yes. So let's say I've got my health data and I've shared it with five different people. And let's say 
I get a new update to my data. What I need to do as a technology is I need to, to synchronize and do a differential of the data that's changed and update all of those other third parties that I've shared my data with. So there's a really interesting problem there. And the protocol that we're using effectively allows us to almost do a git diff for the transfer of data, which is a really, it's going to become a very powerful concept as you get more and more user data and you're integrating with more and more third parties. And so that's, we're getting a little bit technical now, but there's a really important fundamental like technical implementation here. That's going to be very important in terms of the legal use case. It, it's funny you mentioned it because we had a number of pro, I guess, people that we were talking to that are in a legal profession that have that same sort of use case. One of the things that uh, has also come up is there's a growing number of lawyers that's starting to deal with very sensitive information like crypto addresses uh, yeah. and, and the like, right? So the ability to have a secure encrypted database that's private, that only the lawyer can access that, like the law firm can host their own potentially. And they yeah. they don't have to be having that data stored on Google or on some other centralized platform. They know where that data is, it's encrypted. And we can also provide the tooling so that a client could use a blockchain account to uh, unlock access to a shared document that they're sharing with a lawyer. So you end up with both this very tightly encrypted user uh, permission sort of system, you can share access to the documents, you can control where the data is stored, you can control this with the best industry, best, you know, encryption protocols, you know, anchored by blockchain, private keys and seed phrases. It really is trying to get that best of breed sort of solution of combining all those technologies. And, you know, we haven't launched it yet, but we will soon be launching a grants program. And one of the grants I'd love to see is to somebody to take, you know, a Google Docs kind of open source clone, integrate that with Reader and actually create a self-sovereign encrypted, you know, private um, data storage front end yeah. to a, a sort of a word processor kind of editor that we've got all of the infrastructure. It's actually a fairly simple in integration if there's, you know, there's a few existing uh, open source sort of um, word processing tools out there. And then, you know, that's a, becomes a really exciting proposition for lawyers and for a number of other industry professionals. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that, that's fantastic. I can, I can see the, I can see the potential now, <laughs> now that, because to me, it's like, you know, blockchain, it's all traceable, blockchain is immutable. And how is this going to work? Because I was looking through your white paper and just through your company and, and everything. And, and I had all these questions, but you've pretty much um, nailed it. I, I can see the massive exponential potential that you have in what you guys are, are building. Before I continue this conversation, I have a request for you, my dear audience member. So far, all my content is free and I'm able to do this because of your awesome support. And as a part of this support, there's only one request. That is that you go to Apple Podcasts and go and leave a rating and a review for this podcast. Now with that out of the way, let's get back into our conversation. So Chris, what has been the most challenging part for you building Verida? Yeah, look, there's been a few along the way. I think what we're doing is new. And yeah. so there's a communication, you know, whenever you're doing anything new, there's a, a certain amount of education you have to kind of provide to the broader market. We've probably had a number of iterations of the messaging of, you know, what we're doing and how, you know, what, where we sit in with the other other projects in the, in the crypto space, you know, we sit in a very interesting spot. We're, we're sort of halfway between web two, which is regulatory compliant and fully featured 
SaaS sort of products and the web free space, which is obviously has a very different kind of culture and ecosystem. And we sort of sit in the middle. So we have to communicate with sort of the old and the new a little bit. We're helping bring web two, the old yeah. um, existing business models and bring them across to web three. So we have to communicate effectively with, with those, those existing businesses. And then we obviously have to communicate effectively with the blockchain sort of community, both projects there, you know, investors, et cetera. So messaging has certainly been a challenge to get right. I think we've done a, made a lot of progress there though. So that's, but that's always going to be an evolving thing. Paying point that everyone has is, is really good talent. You know, we're doing a lot of stuff here that's breaking new ground. So we really need fantastic engineers and product designers and, you know, people that really believe about this and, and are passionate and the, the, the crypto space is, is obviously exploding, which is, which is awesome to see, but it also means that sometimes can be a challenge to get, uh, oh, to massive get the right people. That, that we need. So that's always an ongoing challenge. And so I guess probably on that front, like if you are in web two, you know, if you're a traditional software developer or product manager or product designer, or even marketer, like any, I guess, player in the technology industry in web two, um, I guess that's my kind of call out to everyone that's probably listening yes. to the podcast. I was going to ask you massive... that, you know, what is your ask? And yeah, this is fantastic. So look, wherever this podcast goes, I will put a link to Vereda and to your um, personal LinkedIn and all that. So people can reach out to you, especially if they are interested in working and with Vereda and, and helping build the future pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that, that would be great. I guess my call out there is it's not even so much for us, but our, our, our key metric of success is enabling other startups, enabling other Web2 companies to transition to Web3. Yeah. Um, so definitely, if, if people are interested at all in this space, I definitely encourage there's so many opportunities to disrupt Web2, uh, yeah. create brand new things that have never been able to exist before in, in Web3. So definitely feel free to reach out to us or or start to start to research Web3, look at our white paper, look at the opportunities because every industry and sector is ripe for disruption at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. You said it. And in your view, what has been the easiest part of building a startup in Web3 compared to Web2? Oh, easy. I think the culture of innovation, perhaps. You know, when you talk to people, I think there's a real understanding within the, the ecosystem of what the future world looks like and yeah. that everyone's sort of working together to do that. And that creates a collaborative environment which I think is really valuable. So if you look at traditional business, a lot of it's competitive. It's very competitive focus. It's, you know, how compete those guys or, or what have you. Whereas in the Web3 space, it's more about collaboration and partnerships, which I think in some ways makes that a lot easier. It makes it easier to, to create meaningful relationships and business relationships and personal relationships probably too. It has a really open, transparent, you know, collaborative culture. So I think that's made it, it's made building a viable ecosystem for Rita a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's... That's definitely, that's definitely true. And I feel like there's just so much energy in this space and there is so much excitement. So you know how, what they say is that you are the, you're the average of five people you spend the most time with. When you spend time in Web3, everyone is so excited and that's why, and everyone is so hopeful for the future and the innovation that that they are creating and building. So I, I often hear that, you know, Web3 means three is the number of hours you get to sleep a night. <laughs> so that's how, what the Web3 means. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I completely understand. My sort of my next question is that what, where do you see the opportunities in in Web3, blockchain, crypto, all this space over the next year or over the rest of 2022? Where do you think will be the biggest opportunities? Yeah, so um, I think we've obviously seen 
if we look at last year, NFTs have obviously been the sort of the hot sort of trend for sure. I have a little bit of a warped view of the world because I guess the conversations that I have, I, I, I think that the opportunity I'm seeing is that you have traditional industries, particularly in the finance sector that are legitimizing this space. Now you're getting banks that are creating crypto product offerings, you're getting banks that are wanting to get into this space. You're getting government regulators that are creating, you know, regulatory environments that are crypto friendly, or at the very least are providing a regulatory guidance around the crypto space. And that is unlocking a huge amount of web two businesses, obviously in finance, but also in other industries like law compliance uh, and some ways retail to look seriously at web three and start investing in web three as a core part of their strategy. So I think that that's a macro trend. That's really, I feel like that's a trend. That's really, there's a a switch somewhere that's flipped uh, in boardrooms across the world that, 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 uh, crypto DeFi, web three, it's here to stay. And everyone's having the same conversation. How are we going to get at, get involved? So I think that's sort of my macro observation. What does that look like in the next 12 months? That's always a little bit hard to say. I think that the legitimization means that there's an increasing regulatory burden on crypto projects. So you're seeing things like credentialing and identity, you know, how can a DeFi, a decentralized exchange operate and be regulatory compliant with different regulations globally. There's a trend there. I think that projects that want to maintain a leading position are going to need to be regulatory compliant with these new regulations. And so there's a lot of uh, emphasis on what that impact, you know, looks like for those existing projects. So yeah, I, I don't know, like that's uh, not a very succinct answer, but I think that the key thing there is that there's a huge unlocking happening right now across traditional industries, legitimizing this space. And we're really at, at the beginning, I think, of a very interesting adoption curve over the coming years. Yep. Very, very true. It's like in in my view, in my worldview, everyone else wrote, I feel like, yes, that there is a lot of interest from the legacy, old school corporations, larger corporations, government, all that. But I feel like they still don't understand or understand the culture and the community aspect and, and just pretty much even the technology aspect of of Web3 and blockchain and all that. I, I don't know. That's how I feel like. I, I agree. I think. Coming back to my previous point, there's a disconnect between having a business environment that's focused on being competitive, as opposed to a business environment that's focused on being collaborative. And that's the, that's the, that's the real crux that I have. So I'm often having conversations with people that are, that are like, Hey, I want to I see this opportunity in web three, this massive disruption opportunity. And I sort of have to have a conversation and say, Hey, look, that's great. But are you collaborative? Are you Fund, can you fundamentally be collaborative? Are you collaborative by nature as a company or as a startup founder, or can you pivot uh, to, to be collaborative? Because that's the key to success in, in this space. You know, how, who out there can I partner with and collaborate with to create a composable product in Web3? It's a very different question from who is out there that I can compete and disrupt and completely replace because it doesn't work in Web3. Yeah. So I think that's a really important thing for people to recognize. Yeah, and and it's also just minor things like you know web3 i have seen the companies are so much open to be to being remote first and 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 just the way they work and and just the way they treat identity of their employees it's like you could completely be just an nft avatar and no one even knows you know it's very very different the culture it's like you you see the team page 
of a Web3 startup compared to a legacy corporation. And, and you would see it is completely like different planets, it feels like. And and I think they have a long way to go like legacy corporations. So there is, a, I think, a huge opportunity, as you were saying, in the macro trend, helping those companies migrate to this sort of new um, environment, a new way of working and community-based sort of working and all that sort of thing. So yeah, no, that that is great. What's Do you have any book recommendations? What's your sort of favorite book that sort of in, in the technology space or, or that has inspired you or influenced yeah, a, you? That's a good question. It's a bit of a cheat answer, to be honest. But I, I Steve Jobs' biography was kind of very interesting. The reason I raised that is Jobs was at the forefront of that early innovation of tech and where he really brought value was bringing tech to the masses, that product yeah. market fit, you know, taking a new technology, thinking about it, what's its core value, and then packaging that up into something that was brand new and unique. And he did that time and time again. And I think in some ways we've had web one, we've had web two, we've now got web three. There's a lot of history repeating itself here. And I think there's a lot to be learned by looking at what's happened in the past. And so, so there's that element, I think, and that history of, of, of Apple and Steve in that innovation yes. journey. And then I think for me personally, where it's also interesting is Steve, you know, wasn't perfect and, you know, did neglect other parts of his life. And I think that's an important reminder for everyone to have balance and particularly yeah. as a, a CEO and a founder multiple times, balance is always a challenge. And I think that it's important to, to be focusing on your own health and your family and, and doing the best that you can to kind of maintain balance, even if you are only getting three hours of sleep a night, um, <laughs> you know, trying to, trying to still, you know, be in the forefront of that innovation and try and um, create this sort of new uh, world that I think we all believe in. You know, there's an important element there, I think, of having that balance in your life at the same time. Yeah, yeah, very true. Have you got have you got kids, Chris, or family? <laughs> I do. I've got two lovely boys, uh, sort of ten and twelve. So they definitely keep me honest. Yeah, and every now and again they 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 injure me as well because they're getting very physically active. So <laughs> no, Chris, definitely definitely keep me honest and <laughs> outside of work. Yeah, no, that's very cool. I've got I've got three three boys as well. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, three boys. So yeah, um, eight, six, and one. But yeah, it is it is it is full on. But no, that's yeah, that's fantastic. Last, I've got last two questions. And what type of companies are currently using Verida, or is it still Verida is still in early stages, or or how would you um, sort yes. of? Yes. So we have a, a test net that's sort of a bit private. We're about to open that up to the public very shortly. So. We've got a whole range of projects building with us across lots of different industries. So in identity, in credentialing, in payments, in healthcare, in legal and compliance, in ad tech. So because we are a core piece of infrastructure, we actually have a lot of projects building across a, a range of different industries, which is incredibly exciting, but it also introduces a challenge because, you know, we are still early stage. And so one of our objectives is to make sure that we can, you know, grow and expand and, and, you know, focus on the areas that we bring the, the most value to. So, you know, we have a number of different projects at, at different stages in that, that pipeline, but over the coming months, we'll be opening up the test net, moving very quickly to a main net because these, these companies are integrating or building products that will need our main net. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to happen in, in the coming months as we sort of go down that, down that path. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And, and who do you, um, see as your sort of primary competitors and and what sort of differentiates Verida from them? Yeah. So again, coming back to that competitive versus collaborative kind of approach, I guess we try and have a mindset of, you know, who out there is in a similar space that we can collaborate with. You know, there's 
you know, we mentioned, you know, IPFS, which, you know, there's Filecoin, there's Arweave, there's Ceramic Network. Yeah. Um, they're all playing in the same, in a similar space around identity, around blockchain, around data. If you look at the identity space, there's a whole range of companies implementing some standards around identity, whether that's, yeah. whether that's sort of Spruce or, or Trinsic or, or Checked. There's, there's a whole range of companies that are sort of in that identity sort of space. And so we are trying as much as possible to take an approach where if that technology is, is well suited, it can become a part of our framework and a part of our yeah. network. In some instances, we've actually made a few attempts there and the technology just hasn't been right yet. And so we've had to implement our own as like a first version that, yeah. that adheres, I guess, to some of the performance requirements we have or some of the security requirements, you know, around the privacy. But our long-term objective really is that we can sort of create this framework that allows these other players to kind of connect in and bring their core strength into the breeder network and, and really create this really collaborative kind of ecosystem. So, you know, if you look at probably our key strength around the private data storage, there's probably no one really that's solved solving that problem that I can point to as a competitor that's doing it at the database level. There's lots of players that are doing it from a public, having public data and then encrypting the data. That's sort of, I guess, only one level of defense for security. But uh, yeah, this is a rapidly evolving space. And to be honest, I hope there's more more solutions and more innovation yeah. around this private data space because it's a critically important one to solve. And our long-term objective is to actually kind of push this innovation forward and, and do that in collaboration with others. Yeah. Oh, no, that's, yeah, that's, Absolutely fantastic. And the final question is that, do you have an ask apart from looking for people who want to build on top of Verida or, or work with Verida? Any other ask? Are you looking for investors or anything else? I think not really, to be honest, we we're in a really interesting position. I think if you are, you know, if you are an investor, obviously feel free to follow what we're doing. We do, we are doing a token launch this year. That's public knowledge. It's a part of our white paper. I, I guess my key thing there really is just about this collaboration and, and becoming a part of this ecosystem, you know, that you might have listeners here that have established web two companies and they're thinking about pivoting into this space. I think that those types of people have a really huge first mover advantage. And so I guess my call out to them would be come and contact us if you have it. If you have a significant user base, maybe you've got some competitors that are bigger in the web two space, this is a way that you could actually disrupt them and, and leapfrog them potentially. So my call out there is yeah, if you're in that sort of space, feel free to reach out and, and then we can have a conversation. Oh, no, that's fantastic. And I will put all the links to um, all your social channels and, and to your website and um, everything in the description, wherever this goes, so people can reach out to you. So, so Chris, it's been fantastic talking with you and learning more about Verida and how you guys are um, solving real life problems in, in Web3. So yeah, wish you best of luck on your journey. Thank you. Excellent, Sam. Really appreciate the conversation and thanks for the opportunity. Thanks. See ya. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. Share this podcast episode with a friend who you think should know and learn more about Web3. As I mentioned before, I work for Moonstream wherever technology makes Web3-based games more successful. So if you are building a blockchain-based game or if your game has NFT elements, then reach out to me. My DMs are open on LinkedIn, Twitter and, and my podcast website web3pod.xyz or web3pod.xyz. Thank you once again and have a fantastic day.